Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 to 44. Your bulletin may say 46, but we're going to stop at verse 44. Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 44, in a message entitled, An Entrance Like No Other. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going to, up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of, of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You should say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. We pray that your spirit would illumine the text for us and that we may be changed. Lord, we are all here at different places in our lives. We pray that you would meet us exactly where each of us as individuals are, and that you would plant your word deep in our hearts, and that you would bring about fruit for the glory of King Jesus. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. At the time of Jesus in the first century, Jerusalem was about 
25 to 50,000 in population, depending on whether you include all of the surrounding villages right around. But most historians would say that it was 25 to 50,000 people. But at Passover, at the feast, it would swell to sometimes even 200,000 people. There were many people who had gone up to Jerusalem for the Passover. In fact, the apostle John says in John chapter 11, verse 55, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. So they went up even a week before and we learn from John that Jesus went to Bethany on the Saturday, on Shabbat, the week before. It was six days before the Passover, Jesus went to Bethany and there was a dinner there. Remember, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, this was Mary and Martha's brother, Jesus loved Lazarus, and many people were aware of this miracle. In fact, the crowds came because they heard that Jesus was there. The Pharisees were angry. They were upset. They even wanted to put Lazarus to death. But John says that it was the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. There's the context of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it was an entrance like no other. He had been to Jerusalem his whole earthly life. He had gone up for the feast ever since he was a child, but this was different. Jesus had fixed his face like flint towards Jerusalem, but it was to his death and resurrection. He was completing the mission that the Father had sent him to complete, and that was to die as a sacrificial and substitutionary death in the place of sinners. All that the Father gives me will come to me, he says. He is dying for lost sinners that the Father had given him to rescue, and he was on his way to the cross. Luke tells us in chapter 19, verse 28, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now this event, the triumphal entry, is recorded by all four evangelists. All four gospel writers see that this is absolutely significant in the ministry of Jesus. He is declaring before Jerusalem and the world that he is the Lord's anointed. He is the Messiah publicly. His entrance 
like no other, was filled with three things that we see in this text today. Number one, it was filled with prophetic significance. Number two, it was filled with messianic expectation. And number three, it was filled with heart-wrenching tears. Let's look, number one, at the prophetic significance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, verses 28 to 36. Did you notice when we read the text, the word tied and untied? He says in verse 30, go into the village in front of you where on entering it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said, why are you untying the colt? Are you seeing this repetition? Five times he talks about tying and untying the colt. And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. The prophetic significance was not just in Jesus riding the donkey's colt but also in untying the donkey's colt. In Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 11, Jacob blesses his sons before he dies. And this is a prophetic blessing for each of his sons. And this is what he says about Judah. Verse 8 of chapter 49 in Genesis, Judah Your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. This is where we know the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall shall be the obedience of the peoples. Speaking of a king that will come from the line of Judah. To him will be the obedience of all the peoples. The scepter shall not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. There's a king coming from the line of Judah, and his name is Jesus. Verse 11 says, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Jesus knew the prophetic significance that he was fulfilling when he says, go untie the donkey, the donkey's colt, because it was from the line of Judah where Jacob had prophesied 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, that donkey was being untied for Jesus to ride on it and enter Jerusalem. Only Jesus would have been aware of this. The disciples were not aware of this. And yet, Jesus knew the prophetic significance of the tied colt and untying that colt for him to ride on it. As he would enter into Jerusalem riding the donkey's colt, fulfilling the the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10, which says this, Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 10, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The king is coming into Jerusalem on an animal of peace, not an animal of war. He's not coming in on a war horse. He's coming in as a humble king, riding into Jerusalem, declaring that he himself is the Lord's anointed. As prophesied, as planned, everything is according to plan. A prophetic significance that only Jesus was aware of. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 16, John tells us, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. They didn't know everything that was going on, but Jesus knew everything that was happening. He had fixed his face like flint to Jerusalem and to enter the city on a donkey, and to go to a cruel cross, and to be crucified, and bear the wrath of God in the place of sinners. In the act of fulfilling the prophecies concerning himself, Jesus is clearly revealing himself as the Lord's anointed, as the Messiah, as the King. His entrance was filled with prophetic significance, but secondly, his entrance was filled with messianic expectation. Look back at verses 37 to 40 of Luke chapter 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Remember, they had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. They were rejoicing, this is the king, this is the king that we have awaited. 
They said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. His entrance was filled with messianic expectation, but this expectation was misguided and completely misunderstood. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand the kingdom. They didn't understand the rule and reign of this king. They wanted him to come and overthrow the Romans. They didn't understand, as we'll see in just a moment, the terms of peace. The crowds, the apostle John says, were shouting, and they had been with him, verse 17 of John chapter 12 says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. It seemed as though the whole world was going after Jesus. It seemed as though the whole world was following Jesus. But Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knew that they were not receiving the kingdom that he was bringing. He knew that they were not praising him with integrity of heart. They misunderstood. They were misguided. They didn't know the times. In Psalm chapter 118, the psalmist says in verse 19, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. In the Hebrew, it's Anna Adonai Hoshiana, and that's where the word Hosanna comes from. Hoshiana, save, Lord, please. And then verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. He has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. They didn't understand the Lord's plans for the Messiah to go up to the altar. That this was the day that the Lord had made and the people were rejoicing, but they didn't understand what was happening. The stone that the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. The Lord Jesus must go to the cross. 
He must be rejected and he must be crucified. There was all kinds of messianic expectation, but it was all in unbelief. They didn't believe what Jesus had been saying for the past three years of ministry, which leads us to number three. His entrance was filled with heart-wrenching tears. Look at verses 41 to 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. So he's going down the Mount of Olives. The crowds are shouting, and Jesus is weeping. The crowds are shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Jesus is weeping. And as he weeps, he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. You, Jerusalem, in your name, you are the city of peace. Would that you, you're the city of the prophets that killed the prophets, who rejected the messengers of God, who refused the message of God. And now you're rejecting the Messiah of God. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. The things that make for peace, that phrase is used one other time in the Gospel of Luke, and it's in chapter 14, verse 31 and following, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, and if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. It's the exact same phrase in the original language, terms of peace and the things for peace. Jerusalem, you, even you. Would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace, the terms of peace. God's terms of peace. See, Jesus had been preaching the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. Believe in God's provision for your salvation. Salvation is here. People didn't want that kind of salvation. They wanted their own way, their own kind of salvation, their own kind of deliverance. But all through the scriptures, the scripture declares what we need what we need for peace. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 53, in verse four to six, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We must have Jesus as our peace. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians that Jesus, he himself is our peace. That the only way to be reconciled to God is through the Lord's anointed Jesus Christ, the Messiah, trusting in him, believing in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life. The only way to be reconciled to God is by trusting in Jesus. But they didn't accept the terms of peace. Would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus had told them the things that make for peace. It wasn't that they didn't hear them, know them cognitively. They didn't receive them, accept them, believe the terms of peace. So Jesus says, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. The pronouncement of the judgment that is coming, they've rejected the Messiah. Now they are hidden from your eyes. The terms of peace are hidden from your eyes. A partial hardening has come upon the Jews. Judgment is coming. Now a physical judgment came in 70 AD. No doubt the Romans destroyed the city, burned it with fire, and threw down every stone from the Temple Mount. Every stone was thrown down in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Jesus. Jesus said, would that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. And at the very end in verse 44, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now this is significant. Because in the Bible, the word visitation or the Lord visiting his people has two different meanings depending on the context. One, he visits his people in judgment. And we see that all all the way through the Old Testament, that God visits his people in judgment. But one of the most common ways is that he visits his people with salvation, with deliverance with his mercy and kindness towards them in deliverance. And that's what Jesus is talking about because you did not know the time of your visitation. Now, they they heard it, he proclaimed it, and yet they didn't accept it. They didn't receive it. They didn't believe it. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 56, the passage that Andrew preached last week, Jesus says this, you hypocrites, 
You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? You hypocrites. The gospel had been proclaimed, the kingdom had been proclaimed. Jesus himself had revealed that he was the Messiah of God, the Savior of the world, and they rejected him. And he says, you hypocrites. You didn't know the time of your visitation. Zechariah had prophesied over John the Baptist when he says this in Luke chapter 1, verse 67 and following, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the visitation of the Lord that was promised, and Zechariah saw it, and there were other believers that saw it, Simeon and Anna and Mary and Joseph and many who were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were longing for the visitation of the Lord that was coming in Jesus Christ. But many rejected it. And Jesus weeps over the rebellion and the unbelief of the people and the impending doom of the city. John says in John chapter 1, that he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. You might be thinking, are these heart-wrenching tears in contradiction to his sovereign knowledge and his sovereign purposes? Was Jesus failing to do what he accomplished to do? Absolutely not. In fact, there is no contradiction in these tears of mercy, in Jesus weeping over the rebellion of sinners and God's sovereign plans to glorify himself by redeeming a people for himself from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Ezekiel records in Ezekiel chapter 18 these words. Verse 30, the Lord says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways declares the Lord God, Repent and turn from all your transgressions. Let iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And really, that is our heart as we proclaim the gospel to sinners is, why will you die? Why will you remain in rebellion against the king? Turn and live. 
As we close, I want to give us just several applications. Number one, for the follower of Jesus, the events of Palm Sunday should, mo- should move us to care more deeply for sinners in rebellion against God and the righteous judgment that is coming upon them. Palm Sunday should move us. These events should move us. Seeing Jesus weeping over a rebellious city to, should move us to care more about sinners and the impending doom that is coming upon their sin. When was the last time you cried over unbelievers set in rebellion against God? It's so common for us to just give up and we harden our hearts and we say, well, it must be God's will, God is sovereign, and so we really harden our hearts. We don't see a hard heart from the Savior, even as He knows God's sovereign will. God's sovereignty is not an excuse for us to be hard-hearted towards sinners. So maybe today we as a people would care more deeply about sinners who are perishing unless they repent. Maybe it it would move us to pray more, to intercede more, to share the gospel more, to plead with people to be reconciled to God. For those who have not yet surrendered to Jesus, here's the application for you. The events of Palm Sunday should move you to bend your knee. They should move you to bow your head, to lay down your weapons of rebellion, resistance, opposition, independence, self-sufficiency, and self-righteousness. Lay it down and accept the terms of peace. Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. He himself is your only hope of peace. Accept God's terms of peace. Repent and believe in the gospel. Receive the forgiveness that is promised through the gospel. Receive eternal life. Receive Jesus himself as your peace. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There is coming a time when the opportunity will be no more. 
And Jesus is not returning on a donkey the next time. He's returning on a white horse with a sword in his mouth to judge the nations. And his wrath is coming, and it is sure. Today is the day of salvation. Today, now. And so I implore you, if you're here today and you've not yet bowed your knee to King Jesus, would you turn from your sins and trust him today and receive his terms of peace, his life as a substitute for you, his death as your death and his resurrection as your resurrection. Would you receive Jesus today? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you, we thank you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus who fulfilled all of the prophecies concerning himself, who clarified even in his actions all of the things that were misunderstood, and who pronounced judgment in tears. Lord, you have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, so I pray that by your grace that you would change our hearts as your people, that you would soften our hearts, that we would weep over sinners who are not yet reconciled to King Jesus. So change our hearts, and for those who have not yet trusted in Christ, God, would you change their hearts today? Would you take out a hard heart of stone and put in men and women and children today a heart of flesh that will believe on Jesus Christ for salvation. Would you do this? Because only you can do it. And we pray that you would do it for Jesus' sake. Amen.